You're listening to a sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel, Niagara. We believe in unapologetic preaching, unashamed adoration of Jesus, unceasing prayer, unafraid witness, and uncommon community. If you have yet to do so, we would love to have you join us for worship in God's Word on Sunday mornings. For more information, visit us online at harvestniagara.ca. Thanks for listening. Well, what a special Sunday morning. A, a warm welcome to those of you who are guests with us. I think particularly of uh, family and, and friends of those uh, families where the child dedication, who are here for, in support of the child dedications, a warm welcome to you. We're so glad that you're with us at Harvest Bible Chapel, soon to be Hope Bible Church. Uh, Niagara. We are uh, excited to be here. A special welcome also for those of you who are watching uh, online, whichever camera is live right now. Good morning and welcome. We're glad that you are here. On this uh, Child Dedication Sunday and on Family Day weekend, I wanted to take the opportunity to preach on a critically important subject, namely marriage. You see, if we want our church to have flourishing families, if these children that we dedicate and that we love and we want to raise and and to follow Jesus, if we want to be a church with flourishing families, then we have to be a church with strong marriages. And to have strong marriages, we need to know and be reminded of what the Bible says about marriage and what God's, we need to have a clear vision of God's vision for marriage. And so that's the subject of our sermon today. And I want to go to a passage that, that really it's part of probably the greatest treatise on marriage in all of Scripture, and that is Ephesians chapter 5. And I'd love for you to turn there with me, please, to Ephesians 5. And um, we're going to look at just two verses this morning in particular, Ephesians 5, verses 31 and 32. Now, as soon as I tell you that the sermon this morning is on marriage, some of you some of you movie buffs, you immediately go to that famous scene from The Princess Bride, right? Mowage. Mowage is what brings us together today. Mowage. That blessed arrangement, that dream within a dream. You used to like that scene until now, right? But. I tried it out in the boys last night. They thought it was funny, so. It is a really funny scene in that movie, and if you don't know the scene, just never mind. But the reality is, is that as we consider the topic of marriage in this generation, it's hardly a laughing matter. Have you noticed that in our culture, the idea of marriage, when it comes to the idea of marriage, people are increasingly pessimistic? I think especially of single young adults, Look at marriage as a, a lifelong marriage with one person as something that will stifle individual freedom and growth and lead to boredom. Some hear of the high divorce rate and conclude that, hey, to get married is not a good relational move. And so increasingly, a number of young couples choose to put off marriage or just choose to cohabit, thinking that this, this kind of testing period is what's needed. Sadly, that well, the truth is, is that cohabiting actually statistically decreases the likelihood of the relationship surviving. But our young people are increasingly pessimistic about marriage. It's not just singles or young marrieds, but it's married people and long-time married people who are also pessimistic about marriage. Many couples, even church-going couples, even like couples like some of you, 
Find yourselves experiencing what the Bible says you will find when you get married. 1 Corinthians 7 and 28, Paul says, those who marry will face many troubles in this life. And all married folks said, amen. It's true. You encounter that. And some of you find yourselves right now in a relationship, in a marriage, and you are so discouraged. And you're so disillusioned. And you're frustrated. And increasingly skeptical about marriage in general and about your marriage in particular. And so what do we say in response to this, in response to this pessimism? What does a, a pastor tell his people when the state of our unions are so shaky? What do we do with this pervasive pessimism about marriage that finds its way even into the church? Well, I think what we need in this is a fresh, God-given vision for marriage. After all, marriage was his idea in the first place. So if there's something broken from our perspective, let's go back to the maker. See, what, is, what does he say? Let's bring our pieces to him. And say, Father, can you fix it? Yes, he can. To be refreshed about his design and his goodness. And who better to listen to than God? And where better to turn than his word? And where better to turn than this passage, which, as I said a few minutes ago, is probably the greatest treatise on marriage in the New Testament. Now, I'm not going to read the entire section. I'm going to read just two verses. And these two verses, I think, give to us a truly God-given vision for marriage. I'm going to look at verses 31 and 32 of Ephesians 5. It says, Therefore... A man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. Now, this is awesome. Verse 31 what Paul is doing there, he's, is, he's quoting what God said at the first ever wedding in human history. Verse 31 is a quote from God, from Genesis 2, about what happened, what God said, when God brought his daughter Eve and gave her to her husband, Adam, and the two were married. When Adam saw Eve, he was floored. And he was amazed. He saw someone who was just like him and yet wonderfully different. And he was in awe and wonder. And Adam, in that, from that day forward, would, would hold fast, the Bible says. Hold fast, let her cling to her. We're together. I'm not letting you go. Or, or cleave to her permanently, uh, enduringly, faithfully. And that the two, these two separate individuals, enter into, entered into this this what's called a one flesh union, a covenant union, never to be broken. That's marriage. That's marriage. The covenant union of one man and one woman to the exclusion of all others. And, and that's what Paul is affirming here. When he quotes, he's quoting scripture in scripture. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother, verse 31, and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Now, when you get to verse 32, Paul then comments on that. 
So he quotes the Old Testament, what God said at that first wedding, and then he says something utterly breathtaking about it. Verse 32, he says, This mystery is profound. And I am saying that it, namely marriage, I am saying that it, that marriage, refers to Christ and the church. This is, this is breathtaking. Why is it a mystery? Well, I suppose if we took a survey today, we might have some different answers, right? Well, I'll tell you, there's some things that are mysterious about marriage, about this person I marry. They are a mystery. That's not what Paul's talking about. Your spouse may be a mystery. You may be a mystery. But when Paul is talking about a mystery here, he's talking about marriage itself, namely the true meaning of marriage, because the true ultimate meaning of marriage was previously hidden and not seen. It wasn't revealed. That is until now, until the New Testament, until what we're reading here in this text. Here it's being shown explicitly, which was previously hidden. It was a mystery. It is a mystery now revealed, a mystery no longer. Do you see? That's what he's saying. He's saying, he's talking about here about what marriage is. And he tells us that marriage refers to something other than itself. Do you see that in the text, verse 32? This mystery, why is it a mystery again? Because we didn't really previously know its true meaning, but now it's being revealed. This mystery is profound or it's great. And I am saying that it, that marriage refers to, so we have marriage and it refers to something else. What does it refer to? To Christ and the church. And so the mystery is it's revealed. Like my sound, that's a, that's a cover being pulled off the true meaning of marriage. It's, it's about Christ. What did you say? There it is. There it is. That's right. There it is. Christ in the church. You see, what Paul's showing us here is what your marriage is really truly about. It's about Jesus and his bride. That's what it refers to. It's about his redeemed people, the church, and his enduring relationship with them. You see, what Paul is showing us here is that when God gave Eve to Adam in marriage, he had in mind another relationship. A greater relationship. The relationship between Christ and his church. God patterned, God patterned marriage after Jesus' covenant union with his church. That's what he's saying here. He's saying, I'm saying that it, marriage, refers to Christ and the church. In other words, marriage is a real-life, high-definition picture of the gospel. That's what it is. It's a real-life, high-definition, three-dimensional, four-dimensional depiction of the relationship between Jesus and his, and his bride. It's a picture of the gospel. That's what it is. Marriage is a picture of the gospel. It's a real-life drama that's analogous to a greater story, a greater reality the relationship between Jesus and the church. And, and if you know this, this whole passage, you'll know that, I mean, Paul has been, uh, has been building really to this, this point. In, in verses 22, 23, and 24 in this chapter, Paul likens the wife to the church in her relationship to the husband. In verses 25 and following, Paul likens the husband to Christ in relation to his wife, who selflessly sacrificially is called to love her. But now we see here that these aren't just handy illustrations. 
No, we see that there's intentionality here in Paul's writing. Because he's, he's referring to what marriage is really, truly all about. What it is, it's a pointer to Christ. It's a pointer to the gospel. It's a pointer to a great, eternal, enduring relationship. Namely, between those of you who know and love Jesus and Jesus. It's a relationship that will span, as, as marriage is designed by God to span your life, it's pointing to a relationship that spans all eternity. It's awesome. I mean, it's a pretty big deal, this thing called marriage. It's, it's a picture of the gospel. It puts the gospel on display. It's like, it's like, you know, you can describe something to someone, but what do they say about a picture? A picture is worth a thousand words. So tell me about this Jesus in the church. Tell me about this salvation. Tell me about this relationship. Well, I'll tell you about it, but you can also see it when you look at marriage. That's God's design, His design. Marriage is a picture of the gospel, it puts the gospel on display. Now, the gospel is this that Jesus came into the world to bring you to God. He came into the world to bring you to God. Sin separates us from God, and all have sinned. If you're not sure about that, just ask the people closest to you. And they'll tell you, oh, you're a sinner. Sin separates us from God. But in God's love, God is moved with compassion and is merciful to us and desires to bring us to himself. And so Jesus came into the world to pay the penalty for our sin, that the barrier can be removed. Jesus took our sin upon himself. I love how Isaiah puts it in his prophecy about Jesus. He says that Jesus, he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Like we did the sin, but Jesus paid the penalty. And he did that to bring us to God into a permanent, forever relationship with him. So when you look to Jesus in faith, the barrier is removed. So despite the fact, despite the fact that we are unholy, spiritually flawed people, we have acceptance with God. That's the gospel. Now, what Paul is showing us here is that marriage, marriage is this. Just as in the gospel we find acceptance with God, in marriage, a man and a woman find acceptance with each other. Both flawed individuals, and yet they find union together and enduring one at that. And Paul says here that this was God's design, his intention to put the gospel on display. This mystery is profound, it's great, and I am saying that it, marriage, refers to Christ and the church. Marriage is a picture of the gospel. Now, if that's what marriage is, it's also what marriage is for. If marriage is designed by God to put the gospel on display, if it is designed by God to, to um, picture the gospel, then that's also what it's for. It's for putting the gospel on display. It's for picturing the gospel. That's what marriage is for. Marriage is for picturing the gospel or putting the gospel on display. It, marriage, refers to Christ in the church. If marriage is designed by God as a picture of the gospel, then that's ultimately the purpose of it. And the reason, the reason, the ultimate reason in heaven for your marriage, to display Christ, to display his eternal relationship 
with his bride. Your marriage, listen, dear brother, sister, your marriage is for that. That's why you're husband and wife. And that's why you're staying husband and wife. That's why you're going to be husband and wife. That's God's design. That's what it's really, actually, truly about. Now, right about now, some of you are thinking, okay, so that's what marriage is for, is it? Well, I know a lot of marriages that are nothing like that. Don't look anything like that. And that's fair. You say, you know, I know people, that, I mean, they say they accept each other, but we all know they can't stand each other. You may have made vows, but those have long been long forgotten and moved on. Here's the thing, loved ones. In the hands of sinful people like you and me, we do many regretful things, don't we? We do many regretful things with what God has created. And that applies to a lot of subjects, not just marriage. But loved one, don't lose sight of the God-given design here, the God-given vision. That's why I'm preaching this, to refresh that vision. And that's what we're after, to gain this biblical vision for marriage. And, and when you get a glimpse of that vision, when you see this, doesn't it add some real added significance to your next anniversary? Like when you go down and when you're, when you're looking for a card for your spouse, and by the way, just this, this is just the aside, I think if this ever goes sideways for me in the past, I think I could probably do okay writing like, writing like Valentine's Day cards okay, and, and love cards. Because I go into the store and try to find a card for my wife, and they're all just dumpy. I'm like, I just read stuff, and it's this syrupy, sappy. So I'm like, what does this even mean? I don't understand this. I love you. You're, you're precious to me. Why don't I, I'll just get the blank card and write my own note. Anyway, that's just a little aside. And if you think I'm boasting about that, you, you know yourself. You tried to find a card for your, your spouse. It's, it's tricky. Anyway, what was I talking about? Your anniversaries. Your next anniversary. Your next anniversary, dear brother, sister, with your spouse is a celebration of the gospel. It's another year of putting Christ on display. At least that's God's design. It's his intention. Now, this is kind of heady stuff, isn't it? It's kind of heady stuff, but let me give you a picture of this. A little while back, Maybe two, three years ago, I remember sitting, Leanne and I sitting with a couple who we love and they love us. And um, they've been married now, I think, close to 60 years. And there they are, they're in their mid, mid late 80s. And we're sitting visiting with them, and they, they've really poured into us. They, they pray for us every week. And uh, in fact, today might be our day, I think, that they pray for us. They pray for us faithfully every week. And, have helped us, have encouraged us, have rebuked us, have really cared for us. And we're just so grateful for them. And we were, we were visiting with them, and, and um, it was just the two of them. And they're sitting there talking to us. They're, they're holding hands and patting each other and, and talking and laughing. And I just said, look at you two. Look at the two of you. So many years down, I said to them, this, I got couples right now that I'm caring for, that I just want them to come here and see this. In fact, I remember at that time, we were trying to help a couple through some challenges. It just, just a huge, enormous mess. And I'm sad to say that it, it never got sorted. And I remember saying to them, I just wish I could bring that man and that woman here and say, don't you want this future? Don't you, don't you want this? You say, well, Ross, it's more complicated than that. Believe me, I know. 
but in your heart. You've got to get, dear husband, dear wife, a God-given vision for your marriage. And it's not just that they get along together. They love the Lord together and they pray. They pray. Who knows what kind of kingdom breakthroughs are still happening because this husband, this wife are praying faithfully. The number of marriages and churches and pastors and people who've been helped and encouraged by this husband-wife dynamic duo, only God knows. Don't you want something of that? Listen, that's God's purpose. It's his, it's his intention. And my dear friend, some of you are hearing this this morning, and you've had a failed marriage. And there's, there's been all kinds of things have gone on, and maybe it's more complicated than I can ever, under, ever understand. It wouldn't be the first time. Please don't misunderstand me. I, I, I'm not trying to twist the dagger in your heart this morning. But you would agree, wouldn't you? That God's people need to have. You've got firsthand knowledge of the pain and sorrow that's, that, that's there. And you would agree, wouldn't you, that God's people need to have a fresh God-given merit, vision for their marriage. And that, that's what I'm after. I'm not trying to, make, to crush you or make you feel bad, but I am trying to minister to marriages that some this morning are floundering. And some are frustrated. And some are, some are hanging by a thread. And what I want this morning is that... The Spirit of God would use this text to strengthen that fraying cord and to fix your focus on the one who is the difference maker in your home. It's Jesus. It's Jesus. Now, I think a lot of this will do a lot of good for us to understand this and to see this. But I want to put some real practical legs on this. And so, what I've got down here in my notes, and I'm going to show it to you one at a time on the screen, is, is five implications for this truth. We've seen that, God, that marriage is designed by God to be a picture of the gospel, and it's for picturing the gospel. Now I want to give you five, hopefully fairly practical, implications for this. I'd like you to track with me as we go. Number one. In light of this fact that marriage is about another relationship, it refers to something other than itself, understand then, listen carefully, understand that even the best marriage won't be fully satisfying. Even the best marriage won't be fully satisfying. Say, so that, that sounds a little counterintuitive. No, no, just track with me. If marriage, if your marriage is really ultimately about something else other than itself, then it's pointing to something greater. Your marriage, even if you stay together till you die, is momentary. But there's coming a day when you will, when you will realize fully the fullness of that true picture of marriage when you're in eternity in heaven. The Bible talks about the marriage supper of the Lamb where Christ brings his bride to himself into that eternal kingdom. And there you will see the fulfillment of what your marriage points to. Which means that even the best marriage won't be fully satisfying. Many, many spouses become frustrated, disappointed, disillusioned over time because they person they, the person they married, they feel, has somehow let them down. Lots of people, some of you feel like that right now. This person sitting next to me, if I'm honest, in my view, is a huge disappointment. So I would never say that. You act like that. You sometimes think like that. 
And sometimes even in the best, even, even unwittingly, we can put expectations on a spouse that's really actually an impossible burden. What was the movie? I can't remember what the movie was, but it's years and years ago now, but there's this romantic line. It was in all the trailers where the, the guy looks at the woman and says, you complete me. What a stupid thing to say. You complete me. What a cruel thing to say. That's an impossible burden to put on someone. You completely, like there's a hole in me that you fill. So if it springs a leak, whose fault is it? Not my fault, never is my fault. It's cruel. Even the best marriage will not completely satisfy because it is at best a beautiful picture of the real thing. Remember, it's a picture. If I showed you a picture of myself, you wouldn't say, you would say that's Ross, but you mean that's an image of me. This is me. This is me right here. This is not a picture. Well, I don't know what you do if you're in internet land right now. I don't know. I can't help you. But here, this is me. A picture is not me. It's a picture of me. That's your marriage. It's a picture of something greater. So even the best marriage won't be fully satisfying. I think it's also a caution for us against overly pushing or overly desiring marriage. Let me just say that my observation has been that church people have a way of making single people feel like they aren't complete until they've found that certain someone. There's a bunch of single people right now fist pumping. Yes, yes. Stop pushing single people into getting married. Encourage them, pray for them. But don't think of them with some pity because they're single. Listen, Jesus was single and fully satisfied. Would you say that Jesus lived a rich, full life? Amen. Got that off my chest. For singles, I would also issue a caution in light of this, who maybe overly desire marriage, become consumed with it, make an idol out of it, feeling like I won't be happy without it. Listen, to desire marriage is a good thing. It's a good thing. But you can live a life rich and full and satisfying and be single the whole way through. We need to remember that, that even if you do marry, that marriage at best points to something else, something better. Jesus was the most fulfilled, complete person to ever live, and he was single and celibate. Our world will hear none of that. It's true. I love how Sam Albury puts it. Listen to what Sam says. He says, marriage shows us the shape of the gospel. Singleness shows us the sufficiency of the gospel, that Christ is enough. In other words, my union with Christ is, is so sufficient, so satisfying, that I can do without marriage in this age. You may not want to, and that's okay. But you can. God will give you grace. And remember, the reason there will be no marriage in heaven is because there we will have the real thing. Amen. So understand, dear friends, that even the best marriage won't be fully satisfying. Second, Understand that marrying another believer is not only right, but wise. Understand that marrying another believer is not only right, but wise. Remember, 
My marriage is about, you know this as a believer, my marriage is about putting Christ on display, the gospel on display. It's for picturing the gospel. So when you see that, it helps to make sense of why it is that the Word of God would teach us that when we enter into a marriage, we should do so with another believer. 1 Corinthians 7.39, Paul says to widows that they're free to marry again. It's free. It's fine to marry. But only in the Lord, he says. That he's reflecting here that biblical principle that believers ought to marry believers. Now, here in Ephesians, we got better insight into why that is. Because... The central thing in your life, dear Christian, is the central thing about your marriage, and that's Christ. If you are married right now to an unbeliever, then you know what I'm about to say is true. When you are a Christian, think about this. If you're, if you're falling in love with somebody who doesn't know Jesus, listen real careful, please. Don't tune me out. I know you don't want to listen to me, but please listen to me. If you're a Christian, everything you do relates to Jesus and the gospel. Everything. Everything. From what you watch to what you listen to, to how you invest your money, to the decisions you make, to your outlook on your whole life. Everything filters through Jesus and God's word and the gospel. If you're married to somebody who doesn't know Christ then the central thing about you is something that they do not, and unless they come to Christ, will not ever really fully know. And your filtering everything through the lens of Jesus and God's word will, if you're true to that, will become tedious and even offensive to that person. Although one pastor put it this way, he says, if you are natural and transparent, then all these thoughts about what does God's word say, what does Jesus want, your partner will find it at least tedious or annoying or even offensive. And so what happens is, is you either have to be less transparent and keep it more and more to yourself, or, or you take Jesus from the center and you have to push him to the margins in an effort to make it work. And you say, I would never do that. Want to make a bet? Please don't make that bet. Please. Jesus is the center and that comes under enormous pressure when you marry an unbeliever. Believers who are married to unbelievers will tell you that. They, they know, they'll tell you, yeah, it's true. And again, I'm not saying if you're married to an unbeliever that you can't honor the Lord. The Bible says otherwise. The Bible's got instructions, specific instructions for you. But if you're not yet married, can you see something of why God tells us not to be unequally yoked? There will be pressure to move Jesus from the center to the margins. Is that what you want to do with your life? Is it? Or don't, don't you want to be that man, that woman, that makes an eternal difference from now to the day they drop you in the hole? Understand, loved ones, that even the best marriage won't be fully satisfying. Marrying another, belie another believer is not only right but wise. Third, Third implication, your marriage is not firstly about you. Your marriage is not firstly about you. It's, it's been observed that marriage is increasingly in our culture about the individual. It's about me. It's about me attaining my goals. It's about my dream wedding. It's about my ideal marriage. It's about me getting my needs met. It's about my satisfaction, my happiness. 
But when that's our attitude, when things are not going our way, what happens is we feel quite justified in finding another arrangement. We, we can rationalize it to ourselves when we withdraw. Not that we don't feel bad or don't regret it, but somewhere in our clouded heart, we feel like because we've made it about me, we feel we owe it to ourselves to have our, me- our needs met elsewhere, be they emotional, sexual, or otherwise. But dear loved one, listen, your marriage isn't about you. Actually, it's not even about your spouse either. Who's it about? It's about Jesus. It's about him. Your marriage isn't firstly about you. So loved one, is there an adjustment that needs to happen in your mind to see this isn't about me? In fact, you could even say to your spouse, this isn't about us. This is about him. Bring that perspective into your next argument. Bring that perspective into the current crisis. It's not about me. It's not even about you. It's not even really ultimately about us. Is about Christ. Understand that your marriage isn't firstly about you. By the way, for, for singles who maybe would desire to marriage, beware. Do not marry a selfish person. You marry a selfish person, you're in for a miserable life. You are in for a miserable life. If his favorite word is me, run for your life, literally. If her favorite word is me, get out. Do not pass go. Do not collect $200. Don't tell yourself, oh, they'll change. They'll change. Fine. Let them change without you. Say that's harsh. No. It's right. Your marriage isn't firstly about you. Number four, fourth implication. You say, you're almost done. This is killing us. Almost done. But this one's good. Number four, your marriage is meant to last. Your marriage is meant to last. I say that some of you feel that dagger. Don't feel the dagger. You just, you know it's true. And you know, right? You know this is good. Some people need to hear this today. So don't feel the dagger. Pray that the truth would resonate. Your marriage is meant to last. Husband, wife, it is not okay ever. It is not okay ever in the heat of an argument to threaten to leave or to suggest the other person leave. There are times when separation is appropriate. That's for sure. I think especially of where there is abuse, you should not stay and suffer through abuse. But I think of very common and more predominant situations where way is led on the way and this baby is spinning out of control and all of a sudden ultimatums start flying out and threats keep going. I remember one couple, they used to take their rings off and, and throw them at each other. I think, would you do that with the gospel? Your marriage is meant to last. I think I told you this already. I can't remember. My mind is a little foggy these days. But when I do weddings, you can guarantee I'm going to do, I'm going to do this. I'll do whatever the couple wants. I tell couples I do weddings. I'll do whatever you want as long as it's legal. Okay? But, so, I mean, that's pretty wide open, right? As long as it's legal. But I guarantee I'm going to do this. If it's a Christian man, Christian woman, I'll look at the husband and say, Husband, Jesus will never leave his bride. He will never leave his bride. Wife, the church will ever and always be joined to Jesus. Because it's true. That's a charge that I give. And yes, there are times when 
separation is appropriate. But by and large, friends, we would be well served to get a God-given vision of my marriage and recognize that because it depicts an eternal relationship, this marriage is meant to last. It also means that every effort you make, you put into making it worth work is worth it. Every effort you make, putting into to making it work, it's worth it, making it better, developing your skills, understanding your spouse. Listen, it doesn't need to be going sideways for you to get better. Right? I mean, you you do you do well at honoring this principle, at at disciplining yourselves, at growing in your marriage, to, to growing and being a better communicator and better understanding your spouse and being more and more godly and more and more patient and more and more humble. You would be you would keep growing in your marriage and make every effort to make it thrive and soar because it's not about you, it's not about her, it's not about the two of you, it's about Christ. And in that context, it's meant to last. So make it last, baby. Make it last. It's a worthy investment. Your marriage is meant to last. It isn't firstly about you. It's meant to last. Fifthly, finally, your marriage is meant to be a testimony for Christ. Do you hear that? It's meant to be a testimony for Christ. Remember what Paul says? This mystery is profound. It's not a mystery anymore because he's telling us the solution. It's about Jesus and the church. And I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. Your marriage is meant to be a testimony for Christ. Is it? Is it? I'm not asking you, is your marriage perfect? Because there ain't anybody who's got a perfect marriage. Right? Not perfect. But is it a testimony for Christ? See, the reality is that most of us are way more flawed than we think we are. I remember... Leanne and I, we talk about, when you get into that marriage relationship, we call it the close quarters of marriage. There's a reason we talk about that. Back when we were early on, we were first married. This is, this is, we've done some dumb things together, right? But, I mean, this was right up there. <laughs> this is right up there. We had this, this beautiful two-bedroom apartment with a full storage room. Can you imagine? Like a, a two-bedroom apartment with a storage room. It was awesome. So we're like, you know what this needs? It needs storage shelves. And so we went, we bought one of those steel shelves, right? You know, it comes in a little flat box, and you got to put it together. Well, here we are, these newlyweds. It's the middle of summer, no air conditioning, about 30 degrees outside, more than that inside. And she and I, we get into this little storage room, and we unpack this box, and we get the metal pieces out and the instructions, and we start putting this thing together. Well, you know how that goes, right? I mean, even on a good day, those things, the instructions don't make sense, and, try, and I'm not handy at all. I mean, some of you could just put it together. I'm, I'm practically useless. Leanne's much more geared that way, but I'm like, no, 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 I'm the man. I got to do this, and everything like that. And, and it's just, and we're in there, and we're trying to get this thing to work, and we are sweating. Like, it is dripping off us. I'm I'm telling you, that shelf almost got us divorced. <laughs> Sitting there, putting this thing together. And then we finally get the one together, and then we bought two. <laughs> so we get this one together, dripping with sweat, trying to remember that we still love each other. And then we look at each other and realize, why are we putting this shelf together in here? Like, why don't we just go outside and do it where it's cooler? I don't know why we didn't think of that. Anyway, so in that moment, we kind of look at each other and laugh and realize we got a lot of sanctifying to do and a lot of growing to do. We get into the close quarters of marriage and you discover things about each other that you wish weren't discovered. And you find that I'm a little more flawed than I think, than I thought I was. 
And when you, when those flaws become apparent in that relationship, forgiveness is required, isn't it? In the midst of those situations, it can be very hard, it can be very difficult, but listen, listen. When you know the forgiveness of God and the acceptance of God and are empowered by the Holy Spirit of God, you have supernatural help to do the kind of confessing to one another you need to do, to do the kind of forgiving of one another, and to do the, the kind of reveling in each other that puts the grace of God on display for your children to see. You don't have to have a perfect marriage, but have your children heard you apologizing to each other? Dads, have, have, have your children seen in you, in your treatment of your wife, what it looks like to truly repent? Moms, have your, have your children seen that too, what, what it looks like to forgive? They've seen that. When you do that, yeah, you may blow it, but in that, in God's grace, you have an opportunity to then still yet put the gospel on display so that they can see it. And they can see this Jesus thing isn't just a religion we hold to. This Jesus is real and he's alive and I can see him in my parents. I can see him in my grandparents. I can see him in my aunt and my uncle. I can see him in this couple that I live near. Friends will see it. It puts the gospel on display when you show it the kind of grace that God has shown you to each other. When you with joy and with tears extend forgiveness and continued acceptance to each other, one flawed spouse to another, your friends, your family, your world gets to see something of the faithful love of Jesus, the gospel, and the true picture that marriage is intended to portray. Because that's what it is. Marriage is a picture of the gospel. For picturing the gospel, your marriage is meant to be a testimony for Christ. Now as I close, please don't pack up. As I close, I want to ask those of you who are still considering the person of Christ. Maybe you've heard some of these gospel truths before and you're, you're like, honestly, I'm not quite there yet. Let me ask you this. What do you think might happen to your life, even to your love life, if the person that it's really all about became the central person in your life? What do you think might happen? What kind of a difference do you think Jesus Christ, the risen Savior, might make in your life, in your home, in your family? Some of you hear this and you're like, Ross, I'm too far gone. you got no idea. You're probably right. I probably don't have any idea. But I know that he has an idea. And he would still yet today invite you, come to me. Come to me, all you, listen, all who are weary and carry heavy burdens. In other words, you got garbage in your life? You got brokenness in your life? You got failure, multiple failures. Come on. Come on to me. And take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I'm gentle and lowly. And he's able to transform you in ways you never dreamed possible. I invite you to come to him, to turn to him, to trust in him. Dear Christian, harvest soon to be hope. Do you see something of this God-given vision for marriage? If you're single, 
If you're widowed, you should care about this just as much as married people do because it affects the testimony of our church and the health of our church. Do you see this? What marriage is for, what it is and what it's for. Finally, for married couples, I want to close with a prayer. The worship team is going to come and they're going to lead us in a song here in a moment, but I want to close with a prayer. I'm going to lead you in a prayer. Now, here's what I want you to do. In some of you, you're going to be weirded out by this. It's going to make this a little weird. But if you're married and your spouse is here, I want to invite you to reach out your hand. No one's going to get hurt here this morning. No one's going to get hurt. Reach out your hand and hold theirs. Just hold their hand. You say, Ross, we haven't held hands in a long time. Maybe church, maybe today is a good place, good time to do it. To reach out and hold their hand. And together as a church, let's pray for our married couples. In fact, I'm going to pray this prayer. And if you're with your spouse, you pray this for them. And if you're, if you're not, if you've got a heart for marriage, you just pray this for the people near you. Let's pray. Dear God, Thank you for giving to me my husband or my wife. Thank you. They are a gift to me from you. A gift I don't deserve. But a gift I thank you for today. But even more than that, I thank you today for a greater gift. The gift of Jesus the gift of salvation. Help us, O oh God, in our lives together to live with this in view. Father, give us humility to confess our sins to each other. Grant us repentance when we're wrong. Give to us from you by your Spirit an urgency to deal with conflict, to not let it linger. Give us humility, enough humility to seek help when we need it and to seek you always. And give us passion and eyes for each other alone. Let our marriage be a beacon of light, Lord, in a dark world. Not perfection because only you are perfect, but a beacon of light pointing people to the grace and the forgiveness and the acceptance that I have in you. Lord, do whatever you need to do in my heart to make me the godly husband, the godly wife that you want me to be. And do it to show the glory of Jesus and the goodness of the gospel. In Jesus' name, amen.